0: Hey everyone, it's Kenny here, and I'm diving into our archives and presenting one of the amazing sessions that we held back in May of 2020 at the first and only Whiskey From Home event. Many people asked if Whiskey From Home would ever happen again. I thought long and hard about it and really thought about what it took to make it happen. Whiskey From Home had over 15,000 people stream it live, and that was during the height of COVID. And to be honest, that's a true sense of accomplishment. It was the first ever large-scale virtual whiskey event and it was a true collaboration effort from everyone involved. But now here we are a few years later and everyone kind of just wants to get back to being in person. So that's why I felt that whiskey from home was sort of a one and done. However, I want to share with you a session by Brian Hera. You know him as sipping corn from the Roundtable, and he's also our resident law expert. He dives into why E.H. Taylor despised George T's tag, plus more bourbon stories from his book, Bourbon Justice. So if you're a bourbon geek like me, you're gonna love this session. And you can also watch this session and all other sessions from Whiskey From Home that are available on our YouTube page. So enjoy this week's special episode. And now here's a quick word from our partners, and then you get to hear Brian talking about why E.H. Taylor despised George T. Stagg. From their bar to yours,
1: So, um, I'm Brian, as Kenny said, I'm Brian Hara. Uh, you can find me at Sippin' Corn. That's mostly where I do my my blogging. Uh, you can also find me at bourbonjustice.com. Bourbon Justice is the book that uh, Potomac published for me in late 2018. And I tell the history of bourbon through old lawsuits. not a law book or anything like that, but I, I do tell the history of bourbon Through old lawsuits that I was able to find in the Kentucky archives, Um, it's a it's it's a blend of bourbon and and history law. But what I do, and and the reason I use bourbon, and it relates to what the guys at Breaking Bourbon were just saying. There's so much law that that uh, bourbon really led the charge on. Um, Nick was mentioning the um, the first Consumer Protection Act that E.H. Taylor pushed. So we've got the Consumer Protection Act, we've got workplace safety warehouses were dangerous places in the 1800s. People were falling to their deaths all the time. They're being crushed by barrels as they're being lifted up by old ropes and bad pulleys. And Bourbon led the charge on all of these sort of workplace protections, consumer protections, taxation issues. And then what we're going to talk about mostly today is trademark law because E.H. Taylor, to bring him up again, uh, had a 13-year trademark fight with George T. Stagg. So two of the most popular brands today, uh, both from Buffalo Trace, um, really deal with two historical figures who hated each other. And now they're coming out from the same distillery. I I think Taylor's probably rolling in his grave. Um, So as a starter though, let's talk about what a trademark is. It's used to distinguish someone's goods from someone else's goods. Uh, It can indicate the source And what it's really focused at is making it easy for the consumer to grab something off the shelf, a bottle off the shelf that either they know they like or to stay away from something they know that they didn't like. So this is a great example of being able just to see something and knowing what its source is without even thinking about it at all. When you go to the store and you see the dripping red wax from Maker's Mark, you know that it's from Maker's Mark. So look at these three, uh, three pictures that should be on the slide now. On the left, you've got the Maker's Mark bottle that we've all seen. The dripping red wax is actually a registered trademark. This, it's described in, in, in with, the, with the federal government as the dripping red wax and the free-form tendrils. And then on the far right, you see the exact sort of same dripping free-form red wax. You can tell that that's associated with Maker's Mark. Now the one in the middle caused some problems. The one in the middle is is a expensive Jose Cuervo tequila uh, made by Diageo, and it has similar, not a, obviously not identical, but similar dripping red wax. Makers had to sue Jose Cuervo to make them snip those tendrils, and now they're still they still use a red wax on the top, but it's clean cut. And think about any other bourbon that you've seen that uses wax, whether it's any of the Willett family estates that had wax, whether it's the current Knob Creek, any sort of bourbon that you get is going to be cleanly cut at the bottom or trimmed at the bottom. There's not going to be dripping red wax really or of of any color. And it's all because of trademark protection. So let's get into the two heavyweight battles. We've got Colonel E.H. Taylor, uh, who I said, as I mentioned, um, had to fight George T. Stagg over the use of his own name. Uh, Taylor's first distillery on his own was the OFC. He bought the property in 1869. The image that's up now is what he built there. He wanted it to be a showplace distillery. He had been involved in some distilleries before this, but this was the first distillery that he owned on on his own. And this is now the current location of Buffalo Trace, but he, uh, he went up and down. He had a roller coaster of a life. Uh, he had great success and he had some failures. He went bankrupt in 1877, uh, pretty much lost everything. He was overextended. He at the time owned the old Oscar Pepper Distillery, uh, which of course now is, is Woodford Reserve. He had interest in other distilleries he got in trouble. He was selling the same barrels to to different people. He got busted on those, so people were suing him. and he needed help. He needed it fast. One of his biggest customers was the guy named George T. Stagg. He was in St. Louis at the time, and he was uh, he was a broker and a seller. He wasn't a distiller. George T. Stagg had enough interest in in E.H. Taylor's barrels and enough money that he was able to buy out all of the creditors, other creditors of E.H. Taylor, and he took control of the OFC. Now, the OFC was a trademark. It was assigned by E.H. Taylor to Stagg in 1878. I was able to find in the archives, this is what it actually looks like. This is an 1878 transfer of the trademark from E.H. Taylor to George T. Stagg. Now, Stagg wasn't a big name in the industry at the time. Uh, he knew that Taylor was, and he knew that he needed to use Taylor's name. Even though OFC as a name was popular, he knew he still needed to use the E.H. Taylor Jr. name. So Stag formed a company in 1879, and he used Taylor's name to do it. Now, probably to convince Taylor to do this, he gave him only one share of the company. And I guess he still had some goodwill because he he saved Taylor from all his other creditors but Taylor agreed to allow Stagg to use Taylor's name in the name of the company. The next year they started using E.H. Taylor's name in this script signature that you see here. They were still using OFC, that was the brand name, and you see Old Fashioned Copper Distillery below that, that's what it stood for. Uh, but Taylor sort of liked the way that, that other older brands of, of brandy and those sorts of things used fancy script signatures. And he wanted to up the level of, of the ex- exclusivity of, his, of their brand that he had with Stag. So again, they still used the OFC. That was the trademark. And they started adding this script signature to all the labels. Taylor was was too big to be in partnership with anyone else though. So a few, few, few years later in 1887, they split ways. They had acquired several distilleries through the E.H. Taylor company. And again, that's the company that's owned by Stagg. And one of them was this tiny distillery in Millville that Taylor's son was operating. They were calling it the J.S. Taylor Distillery at the time. So this is the one distillery that Taylor got. Stagg kept the OFC. They had so much success there that they had built the Carlisle right next to it. He kept those. He kept their other distillery interests and he let Taylor out and Taylor got, got this distillery. That's where they built the castle that everyone knows. And here we see the old Taylor distillery sign above the door that's still hanging there today. He tore down the old distillery, the small one, and he built this, and he built this truly as a showpiece. This was going to be the absolute best distillery in the world. He wanted to create the finest bourbon, and he ended up creating one of the most famous brands, probably next to Old Crow, that there ever was in the 1800s and early 1900s, the old Taylor brand. Now he wanted to continue to use his script signature, so he did, except you see here he added the words and sons. So E.H. Taylor Jr. and sons was the script signature that Taylor started using for the old Taylor brand. In the meantime, Stagg, despite still owning the comp- E.H. The e. Taylor Jr. company, um, and having all of the distilleries and all the operations uh, at the OFC and the Carlisle knew that his name still wasn't enough. So Stagg was continuing to use Taylor's name. You see here, th- this is an ad from 1897. And he kept using the script signature on the bottles. So we've got a situation where Stagg is using Taylor's name. Taylor is using his own name. And of course, like anyone, you wouldn't want someone to use your name on their whiskey when you're trying to create your own name, your own your own popular brand. So Taylor sued Stagg. And it took 13 years of litigation in the Franklin Circuit Court in, in Frankfort, Kentucky. It went back and forth to the Court of Appeals. One would win one ruling, one would lose, the, and then the other one would lose. It was a back and forth sort of tennis match. But at the end of 13 years, Uh, Taylor finally won. Stagg was not allowed to use his own name. Uh, I'm sorry, Stagg was not allowed to use Taylor's name, and it sort of seems like common sense now, but this was breaking ground sort of litigation in the 1800s. Stagg had died during the meantime, during this 13 years of litigation, and the OFC and the Carlisle were bought by a company that was controlled by Walter Duffy, and anyone who knows other bourbon history knows that Duffy Uh, created some, basically, he was a snake oil salesman. Uh, He had all kinds of outlandish medicinal claims. He sold rectified whiskey, sweetened whiskey, and he needed the base whiskey to be produced somewhere. And he needed that control. So he's the one who bought the OFC and the Carlisle while the lawsuit was still going on. So he was still trying to use Taylor's name as well, which as, as Breaking Bourbon mentioned, he was, uh, Taylor was so so much a proponent of the Bottle and Bond Act and the fight against rectifiers that made it made it all the more personal to him, that a rectifier was continuing to try to use his name. So Taylor finally ends up winning. He gets to use the, the script signature. The OFC brand continues because that was a, the only thing that was protected as a trademark, not his own name. You get to use your own name was essentially the the ruling of the court at that time. Now, as I mentioned, Taylor's probably rolling in his grave a little bit because the the his bourbon uh, ceased production at the old Taylor Distillery. Sazerac bought his his the, the rights, the trademark rights to to that brand, and it's back at his original site. It's back essentially at the OFC. Um, so the brands, two brands of competing guys, are now together, but there's still a little bit of probably dispute even even within Buffalo Trace and the current location of the OFC because Buffalo Trace uses on their website and you can see at their distillery a picture that they claim to be the the Commodore Taylor house that is actually from the act from the old Taylor distillery. So here's a screenshot of a website where they use this picture here and they're referring to it dating back to 1792 to the Commodore Richard Taylor the, uh, the old Taylor house. Now looking at this picture, it might not be evident right away that this is the old Taylor distillery, but let's look at it a little bit closer. It's E.H. Taylor Jr. and Sons on the sign, and if, if uh, you remember the, the chronology, and Sons wasn't used until 1887 when Taylor formed his own company and started having the signature on the bottle that said E.H. Taylor, Taylor Jr. and Sons. Before that, when it was Stag at the OFC, it was just the E.H. Taylor Jr. Company. The other thing that you can see here is registered distillery 53 in the 7th district. Both distilleries were in the 7th district, but 53 is the old Taylor distillery, not the OFC or the Carlisle. And then you can see here the brand that was used is the Taylor brand. That wasn't a brand name that was used until Taylor started the old Taylor distillery. Before that, again, the, the brand was OFC. And as a fun aside, and this is in Bourbon Justice too, the, the phrase brand name owes itself to bourbon because during this time frame, the government required distillers to brand onto the barrel head the name of their distillery. And this was also, the, especially in the early days, this was when you got your bourbon at the local tavern and it was in barrels behind the bar. Uh, it wasn't bottled in glass yet. So the, the end of the barrels were facing out and patrons would ask for their favorite bourbon by the name that had been branded onto the barrel. So it was usually Old Crow since it was so popular, especially before, before Old Taylor, but they could ask for the brand name, the OFC brand name, the Old Taylor brand name. And that's all owed to bourbon.
0: Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus. Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's p-l-u-s.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription.
1: By the name that had been branded onto the barrel. So it was usually Old Crow since it was so popular, especially before, before Old Taylor, but they could ask for the brand name, the OFC brand name, the Old Taylor brand name, and that's all owed to bourbon. So we've got about 15 minutes left. So uh, I wanna do a little bit of lightning round. So if, if you can light up the chat here, I want everybody's opinions on, on whether or not these trademarks infringe upon each other. Folks who have read Bourbon Justice will recognize a couple of these, but then I get into some new ones that that I think you'll find interesting. So light up the chat, please. Uh, Kenny, jump in if there's any questions uh, uh, from the chat before I move on to the other ones. So again, here's the old Taylor, the E.H. Taylor Jr. and Sons label. There was another Colonel Taylor in Kentucky at the time. He was in Louisville and that's Marion Taylor. He had the fine old Kentucky Taylor brand. Uh, He was also a rectifier. He ended up buying the old Charter distillery so that he had a a bourbon supply. And he did get into the uh, producing straight bourbon whiskey. But at this time, he was a rectifier. So again, a mortal enemy of folks like Colonel E.H. Taylor. So E.H. Taylor had the old Taylor brand. Marion Taylor had the fine old Kentucky Taylor brand. Old Taylor versus fine old Kentucky Taylor. Uh, This, the court held really depended on which which person used the name first, because they're both Colonel Taylor, they should both be able to use their, name, their own name unless it causes confusion, but the court couldn't figure out who used it first. Both were essentially the same age, both got into bourbon uh, and, and whiskey at the, about the same time, they both started using the Taylor name at, at the same time. So what the court ended up holding, and this had to have been very satisfying to E.H. Taylor, was that Marion Taylor couldn't advertise his his product as whiskey. He couldn't do it as bourbon because it was rectified. It was imitation bourbon. And that was a win definitely in Colonel H. Taylor's mind because Marion Taylor had to start uh, advertising his whiskey as imitation whiskey. The Hermitage and Golden Heritage. Hermitage was a fantastic distilleries uh, by the same folks as Old Crow. It was also in in Frankfurt. Um, It's now a strip mall, unfortunately, but they had a great brand, the Hermitage brand. Golden Heritage comes along and the court held that Golden Heritage used a script that was too close to the Hermitage brand. Now there's two words versus one, but everyone take a quick look, just a passing look at the screen and look away. They practically look like the same word unless you look closely. And the court held Golden Heritage was clearly trying to take the goodwill that the Hermitage had established through its brand. Now, through a, uh, through a this is, gets pretty far into the weeds, legal technicality, Golden Heritage still won because it turned out the Hermitage wasn't telling the truth on its own label. These words looked the same but the Hermitage label said that its bourbon was produced in pot stills over open fires, when in fact they had a huge column still that they were able to, with a closed furnace, and they were able to distill continuously. It wasn't made in the old way, the pot still over open fire. So the court ended up not allowing the Hermitage to stop Golden Heritage from using this label, even though the court said Golden Heritage was trying to look exactly like the Hermitage. So Kenner Taylor, we're getting back to Taylor here. Uh, Kenner Taylor was one of the sons of E. H. Taylor, and he was one of he uh, worked at the old Taylor Distillery along with the rest of the family. After Prohibition was repealed, there was a rush to put mothballed distilleries back into operation, and some New York investors found a distillery that they liked on the Elkhorn River in Frankfurt. It had been mothballed. They started. They they could see that prohibition probation would be repealed soon, so they started fixing it up. None of them knew what they were doing, though, and none of them had a good name that they could pass along, so they asked several people whether they would get involved. No one would do it. Finally, Kenner Taylor said yes, he would do it. He would let them use his name for the name of the company, so they really quick changed it, and he said that they could use his name on the branding. Now he ended up going down to Florida, and he never made it back. He uh, he was he was elderly, and he ended up dying while he was in Florida. So he never distilled a drop at the Kenner Taylor or the K Taylor Distillery. He didn't have anything to do with the brands there, but the brand continued to use his name. Now you look at this, and it doesn't look anything at all like the old Taylor brand, the orange uh, brand with the script signature. So that's really not where the court went with this one. Where the court went was it looked at the rest of the advertising that the K. Taylor Distillery did, and when you looked at the advertising, front and center was E. H. Taylor. Second in line was Edmund Taylor, and one another one of Colonel Taylor's sons, and then third there was Kenner Taylor. The brand was focusing on the entire Taylor family and E.H. Taylor. They were calling their whiskeys Taylor made, even though Kenner Taylor was dead and didn't have any role in it. This is what really the, the court focused on, and it it made the K Taylor distillery put a disclaimer on all labels saying that it had nothing to do with the old Taylor distillery in mid in Millville, just so that there wasn't any confusion to consumers. Uh, this, is a, this is a fun one too. Um, Woodford Reserve in 1996 launched its brand and really revolutionized bourbon for everyone. It, it came out with this classy bottle with a wood closure with a real cork, a flack shape, flask shaped bottle, um, and Ridgewood Reserve, the Barton brand, wanted to emulate that. There was a rush to get into a higher end bourbon market And Barton started with the 1792 brand, but you see here, this is called Ridgewood Reserve. A lot of people might recognize it uh, as Ridgemont Reserve, which was a second name for it. And now, of course, Barton focuses on the name 1792, and there's brand extensions using 1792 as the main focus. But when this first came out, when the 1792 brand first came out, it was called Ridgewood Reserve, and Brown Foreman sued Barton over that. Um, they both, of course, use the name Reserve as the second name, and even though Ridgewood and Wood Woodford have the wood in different spots, if you say it, it they, they do sound similar, Ridgewood and Woodford. They both relatively have a flask-shaped bottle. They both have the wooden closures and corks, and they both have that same rectangular sticker at the bottom. This, uh, to me, isn't as much of an easy call as it eventually was for the court. The court found that Barton did infringe on the, the look and the feel and the trade dress of Woodford Reserve, and the court actually ordered all of these Ridgewood Reserve bottles to be taken off of retail shelves. Barton had to go out and do that, which is an, it's an extreme remedy that the court enforced here. So if anyone has a Ridgewood Reserve bottle in their collection, uh, send me a message on the side. I'd I'd like to see it. And uh, you've got quite a treasure there if you still have a Ridgewood Reserve bottle. So next, we have a forward-facing sketched buffalo. Uh, Everyone knows what this one is, I'm sure. Um, It's it's on a water tower in Frankfurt. It's it's, uh, It's in front of the gift shop. And, of course, it's on the buffalo trace bottle. Uh, This is the Buffalo Trace registered trademark uh, that they use uh, all over the place. And they didn't like Bison Ridge, a Canadian whiskey that came out. Um, Now, a bison and a a buffalo are two different things. But these animals look the same because it turns out uh, what we call a buffalo in the United States really is a bison. Uh, So it's the same animal, different name, two-word name, Bison Ridge, Buffalo Trace. The bottle shapes somewhat similar, but not really, um, and there's an issue here because one is a Canadian whiskey and one is a Kentucky bourbon. So the argument is, for Bison Ridge is that is probably mostly that it's a Canadian whiskey, and consumers need to be able to know the difference between a Kentucky bourbon and a Canadian whiskey um, but this case ended up settling, and when cases settle, you they're always confidential. You don't really know what happened to it, unless one of the brands still survives and has a label change. And sure enough, the the Bison Ridge label change had no forward-facing sketched bison or buffalo, which makes sense. It's a it's a it's too close to the trademark owned by Buffalo Trace. Uh, let's go get into some fun ones. Uh, obviously not bourbon, but still fun. Fireball is a cash cow for Sazerac, so they're clearly going to try to protect their brand. Jack Daniels has Tennessee Fire, and Sazerac sued Brown Foreman over Jack Daniels' Tennessee Fire. Here, the bottle shapes are entirely different. Jack Daniels has its its very prominent, hard-edged square bottle. It's it's very distinctive. It's what you think about when you think about Jack Daniels. Um, There's no devil on the Jack Daniels. Of course, they both have red but that's going to be a color you're going to use for a cinnamon flavored whiskey product. So this one, the parties agreed to dismiss the case and Jack Daniel's Tennessee Fire still looks exactly like this. Fireball also sued Mad Hen. Now this is, this is one that looks totally different from the Tennessee Fire. It's got the same sort of flask shaped bottle. They both have the red closures. Uh, and look at the edges of the labels. Both are singed by fire. Um, this looks a lot more like the Fireball product, and this one, after the case was dismissed, uh, Mad Hen didn't exist at all. The producer of Mad Hen started uh, putting its mixed alcoholic uh, beverages into cans, and the Mad Hen brand disappeared entirely. Now, the last one I have is is a lot more recent. This is Heaven Hill. Uh, this was an exhibit that was filed with court. They, as you see here, they've got different bottle shapes, but they're all, they're all stylish. Um, they all have um, the, the, especially the select stock has the intertwined letters. Uh, they're all pretty artsy. Um, they sued Heaven's Door. Probably not so much for the bottle shapes because the, the shape here is distinctive and they're even more artistic than any of the Heaven Hill bottles have ever been. But the issue was the name. Heaven's Door and Heaven Hill. And what Heaven Hill did here when it filed its complaint is it included a survey that it had done. And this is how you prove confusion in the market. It had a survey that that used a scientific method and found that people were confused by the name Heaven's Door. Now, this case uh, also settled, so we don't know what the terms of it are but you can still find Heaven's Door in these kinds of fanciful bottles still on the shelf. So whatever the agreement was, it, it allowed Heaven's Door to continue. Um, so that's that's all if we've got. Um, I do wanna mention, and you should all have an email, so check your Eventbrite emails. Uh, my publisher, Potomac, has been kind enough to offer a 50% discount on bourbon justice. Here's the code 6FFF. Uh, that should also be in your email. Um, you can find the link to the Potomac website in your email, or if you end up misplacing that, just go to bourbonjustice.com, um, and that's where I've got links to, uh, links to the Potomac website, links to Amazon, or you can buy it direct from me, and I'll be able to sign it for you. Um, uh, Kenny, thanks for having me. I've uh, really enjoyed this and uh, always enjoy talking about uh, bourbon law and, and bourbon history. I mean, you are a lawyer. Like you know what you're doing here. <laughs> well, I, I try, um, and it's it's. But I, I've, what I've been able to do, I'm also a history nut and a bourbon fan. So when I was able to combine the three of them, that's that's really what took it off for me. Made it pretty easy. So there's a few questions
0: that came in from the chat here. So uh, Lodesman Cowman wants to know. You know, you talked about makers and trying to like take those drips out. Did Hirsch ever have anything uh, to do with that? Like, have it to take anything off the market?
1: Well, I don't know if they had to take anything off. And there's there's the hearse that has a little bit of a drip. And then I've seen pictures. I've never seen it personally, but I've seen pictures of a Van Winkle brand from probably 20 years ago that had a little bit of a drip on its red wax. So I, I don't know. There wasn't any litigation that it was involved. So unless there was a lawsuit, I'm not going to be able to find anything about it. But we do know that that there's no longer any sort of dripping red wax on those cases. So I, I have to think that there was some kind of background communications and agreement. So somebody with a Nexus account, they've got to be able to figure out exactly where all these lawsuits are coming in. That's right. You got to be able to find the lawsuit first and then you get the exhibits out of the lawsuit. And then you learn you learn quite a bit when you do that. Uh, two more questions. Uh, another one from Greg. He said, you know, we were talking about again, when did makers sue Jose Cuervo? Do you remember the time period or when it was? My memory is that's probably about 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that.
0: So and it was, it was here in Louisville. Yeah,
1: yeah. Fairly recently. And then Nick also wants to know if you remember the year of the uh, the bottle transition of when Woodford made 1792 take those off the shelves. Uh, that was probably about the same time. I didn't, I should have written down the dates for both of those, but it's about the same time. So we're about 15 or so years ago. Perfect. That's all that uh, that came in. So I all think right. uh, awesome stuff. I appreciate
0: it. You did fantastic. So uh, cheers. And as Brian had mentioned, make sure that you go uh, check out your emails. There's the 50% off link code to actually do that. And uh, yeah, make sure right. you uh, subscribe to Brian and all the social media channels too.
1: Keep up with them. Check me out on Twitter at Sippin' Corn, Instagram Sippin' Corn, and and Facebook on Sippin' Corn. And of course, check out bourbonjustice.com.